Um, I was traveling a few weeks ago from Midway to Minneapolis-St. Paul, and I was, I was struck by something, um, that as the flight attendant closes the door, we all know what the next thing to happen is, uh, the safety instructions. Uh, I've heard some pretty funny ones. Maybe you have too. Some I saw online, which I go, man, I wish they'd do it that way. I might pay attention a little bit more. Uh, but the funny thing is, is if you've flown in the last 25 years, really not much has changed. It's the same message over and over and over again. Uh, I know the airlines have tried to change it up. They'll play it on a video. They'll, um, you know, make it a little snarky. Uh, they'll do a few things just to kind of, maybe they're being brutally honest, um, but trying to get our attention because these are life and death matters. So why am I talking about, why do I show a video like that? Well, I think because as Christians, we can find ourselves kind of doing the same thing with God's Word. We can read through it. We can hear it on a Sunday. We can be in a Bible study. And, and, and then, if you're honest, we sometimes just kind of pass over it. And, and we know it's there. We've heard it before. And we go, oh, I've been there before. I know this. And then we just kind of let it be. And it really doesn't take a hold in us. I mean, hopefully we've heard that safety video enough that we would know generally what we're supposed to go, you know, supposed to do. But I want you to, be, want you to remember that Scripture says that it is living and active, which means it's, it's at work in our lives, it's, and it only, but it's only active if we're willing to let it be active. In James 1, to 25, it says this. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at it himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, this passage in James, you know, says, but be doers of the word, not merely hearers, deceiving yourself. See, we've heard that verse, I think, many times, probably in a variety of forms, but the last two words of the verse seem to address, really, the issue we have. We can often deceive ourselves by going deep in our own study of God's Word, by listening to a message, a podcast, whatever it might be. But Jesus has said, hey, I'm calling you to action. There's something I need you to do, and I need you to be a part of this. So when we study God's Word or listen to a message, we need to always ask this question, or at least this is the question I ask myself. You can even put it on the bottom of your note sheet each week. Jesus what do you want me to do with this now? Because I think we have great intentions. We hear it and go, that was awesome, really enjoyed that. And then you walk out the doors and then life happens. James 2.16-17 reminds us that our faith or even our knowledge of God, okay, is connected to our actions. If one of you says to them in, in verse 16, it says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. 
So as disciples of Jesus, we need to be about his business and be an obedient to what he has called each of us to do. We can't just sit back, no matter our age, and expect someone else to do it. I will say that I think the church today has been very good about, you know, and I could say picking apart Scripture, like really studying it and really getting in-depth into it and getting down to even the root truth. However, I think we often miss, what we often miss is that we're supposed to apply it to our daily lives, not just read it. What I'll be talking about and teaching about this morning is really what I would say is nothing new. It's just like that airline video. We've heard it before. But I've tried to present it in, in such a way that it'll be understandable as well as praying that you'll find a way that you can apply something that was said as the Holy Spirit leads you. I started a series back in December called Jesus, the Road Less Traveled. My idea behind the series was to see what the disciples and others around Jesus would have seen if they were on the road traveling with him. In the first message, I talked about how Jesus was a humble servant, Mark 10, 45. For Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. And he loved people deeply. In the second message, we, we looked at how Jesus took time for people, no matter the circumstance. He, he showed them love, compassion, mercy, grace, and he offered forgiveness to many. Even though Jesus had places to go, he always took time for people when he was with them. Well, this week I want to look at how Jesus prepared his disciples to go. And you might be surprised at how this all took place. I think some of you are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I mean, if I had time, it, you could make it a series. But I, I'm just going to be kind of going through Matthew 5 through 12, those chapters, and just kind of highlighting a few things. It says, if you look at this passage, you'll see that it's just Jesus speaking directly to his disciples. Was this the 12 disciples? Well, yes, but mostly it was, most likely it was also those what we'd call even insiders, as one commentator says. He said these would have been people that were traveling around from town to town with Jesus, hearing his message. They were soaking it in. They loved what they were hearing. But it also says that there was a crowd which most likely would have just been somebody that as he went through a town, they were there and they followed him because he was doing incredible things. And there's this new teaching and these, this new teacher and, and they're trying to figure out, do I follow this? But they're not fully convinced yet. So when we read from Matthew 5 through 7, those chapters, it may be helpful to think of it as R.T. France says. He says, in Matthew's longest and most wide-ranging collection of Jesus' teaching, it deals with the character, duties, and attitudes, and dangers of the Christian disciple. It is a manifesto setting out the nature of life in the kingdom of heaven. Well, I don't have time to walk through the Sermon on the Mount, but it's important to understand that this was a time of teaching, or even as we could call it, a time of discipleship this is where Jesus is getting them all really on the same page. Many of the insider disciples had come from many different backgrounds and, and even some different beliefs. And if you're looking close at the section of Scripture, Jesus uses a lot of references to, to heaven, to kingdom, to hell. He wants them to begin to see all things through the lens of the kingdom of heaven. Topics that Jesus covered are many that we would recognize. Just in this section, you got salt and light of the world. 
love your enemies, give to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, treasures in heaven, judging others, the golden rule, and and building your house on the rock. See, Jesus is reminding them of the things that are most important, uh, but even things that they already knew, not things that they were unfamiliar with. I know for me, it's helpful when I get a reminder and an appointment, you know, a coming appointment comes up on my phone and reminds me, hey, in 15 minutes. Um, I think sometimes when I um, haven't read something for a while, to get a summary of it, to kind of read and go, oh, okay, yeah, that jo-, and then all of a sudden you begin to remember it. Because I have a tendency to forget, and I think all of us do. And so I think Jesus is bringing them back and saying, okay, I got a little different take on this. You've heard these things, but I want you to hear them now from me. It says the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And I'm sure the insiders were just soaking it in. It's like, come on, Jesus, you know, like drinking from a fire hose. They love this. But it says in Matthew 7, 28, 29, these words. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. They could tell that these words that Jesus was sharing meant something to him. They knew he believed what he was saying. And many of the teachers of the law at that time, it was just a job. It was just out of habit. It didn't come from the heart. It would have been easy at this point, I think, for Jesus to conclude his teaching and, okay, take a break. This is a long one. I'm tired. Um, But what we read in the next two chapters, in in, in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus is putting into action what he had just taught. He heals a leper a paralytic, a sick person. He even calms the storm with his voice and he heals the demon-possessed man after that. But what's really interesting in those chapters is it talks about Jesus' power. And sometimes we can forget that. In all this, he showed love and compassion to many around him that were in need. He also showed that he had divine power to do things no one else could do. Have you ever heard of the holy huddle? Anybody heard of the holy huddle? You can put your hand up a little bit if you've kind of heard of it. You're like, I don't know exactly what it is, but that's okay. Well, a lot of times you hear about the holy huddle and it comes with really a negative connotation most of the time. It's, it's spoke of in, in negative terms. But I would say that that's not always the case. Um, I think for the holy huddle, we... we uh, We've got to remember that being together as believers is really an important thing. What we do on Sunday mornings, this is a good thing. It can build us up. It can strengthen us. In Acts 2, 42 to 44, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So you see there's this beautiful community that has been created. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. And also Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in their hearts. So so being a part of the body of Christ, um, like we are as a church, is a good thing. It does help us grow. But if we're not careful, it can lead to what I would say is complacency and and be more about, I could say, maybe being comfortable and having our own needs met rather than worshiping God and preparing ourselves to go and make disciples. 
Well, as many of you know, um, I have the privilege of coaching at Central Lakes uh, College and, uh, as a football coach. I played college football myself, and, and so um, I thought, here's an illustration. When we're talking about huddles, I know a little something about them. But just picture with me this, this happening. The team's practiced all week like they normally do. They're refining their own plays, and they've even studied their opponents, so they know what they're going to do. It's game day. The ball's kicked off. We get a really nice return. Our offensive players go out onto the field and get into the huddle. The coach and the quarterback are on the sideline discussing what play they should run. The quarterback jogs out to the huddle and tells the players the play. A couple of the players comment and talk about how great a play that's going to be. That should really work. The quarterback repeats the play and gives the snap count, and the players break the huddle. But rather than going to run the play, they go to the sidelines and sit on the bench and talk about how great the play call was. Now, that can seem pretty absurd. And I hope it doesn't happen. Somebody between hours said, hey, I remember a play that we kind of did like that. It looked like we were going there. And I said, you know what? You can't actually, by the rules, run that play anymore. But I think we as Christians can be a little bit like that. We receive some of the best teachings here on Sunday. We attend studies. Uh, we listen to different things online. Uh, we've got every resource in the book. We're excited, but not long after we go back to what we've been doing. And we never run the play. We leave talking about how great the play was, but then we never put it into action. And, and Jesus has asked us to go. In chapter 10 of Matthew, we see Jesus sent out to the apostles. In verse 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. And in this chapter, we see that Jesus is sending the apostles to the house of Israel, or as it's also referred to as the lost sheep of Israel. He's having them go to their own people. I wondered, you know, a little bit as I looked at that, why Jesus would send them only to the Jews. But I think there might be two reasons, and there's probably more, but these are the two that I felt made the most sense. The apostles were familiar with this culture and could relate well to it. So they understood what was kind of going on around them. So they weren't walking into something that was totally unknown. And also, the Jews were God's chosen people. And they were lost, and Jesus knew they needed him. In Matthew 10, verses, starting in verse 5, it says, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving... Let the peace rest upon it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So we see Jesus has just taught them about the kingdom and, and now he's telling them, I will give you what you need, power to heal, to cleanse, etc., but also tells them not to bring anything, 
and search for a worthy person. Well, if I was the disciples, I would have been excited really about the first two things. You know, hey, power to heal, cleanse, that's, that's cool stuff. But the last part about not bringing anything with me on a journey, imagine you traveling without any of your stuff, or many of you have lost your luggage on a trip. Yeah, okay, they're not bringing anything with them. And then finding a worthy person. What, how exactly is that going to work? You know, I, I'd be a bit nervous. What they may not have realized at the time, though, is that Jesus was asking the disciples to do what he had just done with them, teaching the truth about the kingdom of heaven and going to take care and love people. Did you notice that Jesus sends them out almost immediately? I think that's intentional. Are they really fully prepared for every possible scenario? (laughs) Definitely not. Do they have all the answers memorized? Nope. But will they see in just a few ver- well, we'll see in just a few verses that this mission he has them going on is about him, not them. He has asked his disciples to go on his behalf. Jesus has asked them, and I think even us, to play a role in his amazing story of love and redemption. We're not the stars of the story. He is. But he wants us to be a part of his story. And he wants us, wants to use us to accomplish his will. That's pretty amazing. Just a sidebar, I was thinking about it. Says, have you ever been around somebody that uh, is a new Christian, somebody that recently trusted in Christ? I'll say they're, they're amazing. Their lack of knowledge of Scripture, bad habits, and even their weighty life circumstances didn't stop them from sharing with others about Jesus and their relationship with him. They weren't worried about tough questions and not having the answers. They just knew that their life was different and it was transformed and that they were a new creation and had experienced the Holy Spirit's peace, counsel, and comfort. But however, as time goes on, we usually see the excitement diminish. Why does that happen? Well, I would contend that we we get busy with life and things start to squeeze it out. I think we begin to worry about what others maybe will say or think about us. A video that I often uh, showed my students when I was a youth pastor was from the skit guys, and it's called Friends Tell Friends Everything. Basically, you have two guys that uh, have been friends since they were children. They were forced together because one of them was punished and he had to go over to the neighbor's house. And they get to know each other, and so they're best friends all the way, and then it gets to graduation. And... uh, And the one guy has been trying to figure out a way to share with his best friend this. This is the only thing he's never shared with him. And he's like, okay, I've got to do it. He's psyching himself up. And he gets to that and wimps out on graduation night. He still couldn't do it. I think all of us have someone we we love and care about that, that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Our desire is for them to know him but we find it hard to share with them. We have the message of hope and eternity with God, and the alternative for that person is eternity in hell and complete separation from God and anything good. So why do we wimp out so easily? I think most of it, it just comes, for me, I know it comes down to just that idea of maybe they're going to reject me or maybe I'll offend them. That was the sidebar. Back to Matthew 10. One of the things I appreciate about Jesus um, is the way that he's just very direct. 
and he, he says what he means. Um, and he doesn't leave things out. He just pretty much calls it the way it is. And I'm thinking if you had three and a half years to live on earth, yeah, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be pretty specific in what you need to uh, say in those times. So in the next verses, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 10, Jesus now is going to share really what I would say is the brutal truth with them. He will begin to share the cost of being a disciple. We see through his teachings and even Apostle Paul's teachings that there's always a cost, a sacrifice that it's going to be to follow him. It's not the easy road. In verse 16, it says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. It's like, all right, thanks, Lord. That's awesome. Um, Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. <laughs> uh, good. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, (laughs) great, okay, this gets better. Do not worry about what you say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and, and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I'm thinking about it this time. It's like uh, I'm calling the big time out because what you're saying is there's, so Jesus, what you're saying is there's a bunch of people that won't like what I'm doing and saying and they're going to want to hurt me and even kill me. I got that straight. And he'd say, yep. Well, I don't know about you, but I figured Jesus might want to change his recruiting strategy at that point. Because um, I'm thinking most of us are kind of like, at this point, we, the, the disciples at the time would have forgotten about this healing and cleansing part. They're a little bit more worried about what's going to now happen to them. And I thought about that for a reason, going, why would Jesus kind of do that? Why would he kind of get them kind of thinking that way? And I think part of it is, is because he wanted them to understand that there is a cost. There's a cost to follow him. But if you see, it says firm to the end will be saved. There's a promise attached to it. But there's also a reward that you'll see later. I suspect at this point the disciples are all trying to wrap their heads around this and before they can take too much time, Jesus shares a truth with them that I think should revolutionize the way they will see their mission. And I think even for us. I don't know about you, but I've worried about what to say to someone. If I could say it the right way in a conversation when I'm talking about God or Jesus and I didn't want to screw it up, I think we've all been there. But if you're worried about what to say, I want to go back to what I had just read. In verse 19 and 20, it says, Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That was true for the disciples back then, and I believe it is true for us today. Remember that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that is living in you today. If you're not prompted to share Jesus, you know, if you're prompted to share Jesus, trust that He will be the one that will help you. You will also need to understand that it's not our eloquent words that lead someone to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. 
So he's just said, be obedient. Speak on my behalf. Let me do the work. A few verses later, we see in, uh, in uh, verses 26 and 28, Jesus says to not be afraid. And then at the end of 28, he says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, and it's a big O, so it means God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, in those verses, he's reminding us that, there, that he is in charge. He has absolute power over everything. Verses 30 and 31, he tells the disciples of how known and valuable and loved they are. He says, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So he knows us intimately. He knows how we think, the struggles we face. And then he says, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. To know that God is on our side and he's with us in all things really should give us great comfort and confidence. And then verse 38 and 39, Jesus again makes it real clear, the cost. He says, so whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So as I've said many times, there's a cost to be Jesus' disciple, and that may not seem super attractive to some of you in here. It's not the easy road. For those of us in the U.S., I wonder if we really have experienced the true cost of being Jesus' disciple. I get publications from Voice of the Martyrs, and I've read countless stories from the Middle East about Christians that are being persecuted, tortured, imprisoned, and even killed for their faith. Those Christians knew, they knew having a relationship with Jesus could and most likely would lead them to persecution and sacrifice. They knew that on the front end. They would be disowned from their families. They could lose their jobs. They'd even be put into prison. Why would they still go through it, through with it? Why would the disciples still go out? Why would we be willing to still follow Jesus despite this potential sacrifice? And I say because he's worth it. Because he's willing to give up his own life for ours. Because he has been through it already. Because he will draw us closer to him. But probably even more importantly, because he is a holy God. In Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest. Basically, a high priest is one that will, be go, will go before the holy God on our behalf. And so he's speaking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted, he's referring to Jesus, in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then it says this, this is so cool. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This passage again shows us that God's with us. We can't forget that. It shows us that he's the one that gives mercy and grace when we need it most. I don't know about you, but this idea of approaching God's throne, that, that just would freak me out. Thinking about, he's the creator of all things. And then he's saying, but come to me. Come to my throne. Come with confidence. Don't come in trembling and shaking because he wants to show us his love. And he wants to extend his grace and mercy to us 
as we need it. So when you think of the cost of being a disciple um, is too much, remember to keep a kingdom perspective as Jesus was teaching his disciples. Think of what's going on beyond what's going on here. We have these earthly bodies, we live here on earth, but we're not going to be here for very long. We need to make the most of our time. Jesus spent nearly three and a half years with the disciples. They had the opportunity to hear and see firsthand Jesus in action. Jesus led by example. He was the one to tell them to do something. You know, he was, he was not the one to tell them to do something. He was not willing to do himself. Many times Jesus showed them exactly what it looks like. These disciples saw things that were incredible. But despite that, they wavered. They failed. And they even ran away. Kind of sound familiar? Kind of sounds like, for me, it sounds like myself. Uh, the disciples, they, they had the advantage of being with Jesus and walking with him and interacting with him. But they, at the time, but at that time, they didn't have the full picture. But for us, we have the full picture. And we know that God wins. But we still struggle to live a life that is victorious. So if you're feeling overwhelmed or inadequate, I'd just say join the club. Jesus wanted to make it clear to his disciples that the work that they will be doing can only be successful if we or them are completely dependent on him. Jesus wants us to give up ourselves and let him use us for his glory. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, it says, Come. He's talking to the disciples in the crowd again. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus knows that all of us carry some pretty heavy burdens in life. And, and he again is reminding his listeners, and, and, and I said by default, us, that he is the one that will carry those burdens. You see that Jesus is asking us to release our burdens, put them on him. I've read this passage many times in my lifetime, but what stuck out this time as I read it was his words, come to me. Jesus is not asking us to do this life alone. He's reminding his disciples and us that he wants us to depend on him and come to him. He's made it possible for us to approach his throne of grace with confidence. And then he promises to give us true rest. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, true rest. I mean, sometimes we get some sleep and we think that's rest, but true rest, body, mind, soul. Amazing. I did some additional study and I found some other places that Jesus is along the road and he's in places and he's teaching. And a couple of those things that are mentioned is John 8 and in John 15, he's, he talks about if you hold or this idea of abide to my teaching, you are really my disciples. See, this is the idea that we need to obey what we have been taught and to do what he has told us to do. He wants us to bear fruit. A new command, he says in John 13, I give to you, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here we're told to love as Jesus loves us. As a church body, we must, as it says, love one another. 
Jesus is not really giving us, what I would say here, any wiggle room. But the question is, how well are we loving each other here at Lakewood? Living for Christ is a difficult task. This means we need to selflessly give up our own perceived rights and things that we think we deserve and be willing to really be what I would say is all in. Imagine what our families, our church, our neighborhoods would look like if we truly lived that way. Things would change dramatically. The Christian life is not a straight road. The road to eternity is through a narrow gate. It is not the easy way, but it is the best and most fulfilling way. In Proverbs we read in chapter 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. The road may feel like it's winding back and forth, up and down. It may be rocky or muddy with many hard things in your way. But when we submit to Jesus and his ways, he says he'll walk along with us and show us the way. So what is there something that we, is there something that we can do today? I don't know what that will mean for you. One of the things I've tried is to incorporate more prayer into my life. And one of the things that I try to do is I call it pray for three each day. The idea is to find places to just pray for people wherever the situation arises and do it three times during the day. Now, you can do it more if you're an overachiever. That's okay. It may be someone at church that just shared a deep hurt with you. Rather than telling them you would pray for them, pray for them right there. Maybe God brought to mind an old friend or even a co-worker while you were doing something and you text or message the person a short prayer telling them that you prayed for them today. And if you really want to get bold, tell someone that while you were at church this Sunday, that's not the bold part, okay? They challenged us to pray for others and ask someone if there's something you could pray for them and then pray for them. So are you willing to follow Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul? I think all of us want to answer yes. So what changes does that mean we need to make right now? Well, I think what it means is we got to make a plan and we got to ask somebody to join us to help us. Remember what Jesus told his disciples. John 14, 26, he says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. What a comfort that is. First, it tells us the Holy Spirit is living in us. The other part is he's saying he's going to teach us things and he's going to help reveal his word to us. And he's also going to say he's going to remind us of what he's done in our lives. And then Jesus' very last words before he ascends to heaven in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, right at the end he says, And surely I am with you always to the very ends of this age. Think of that. He is saying, I am with you. So when you go out, you do not go out alone. You don't go in your own power. We go dependent on him to do the work. He's just called us to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to learn and look into your word. But Lord, I pray that we would understand that there's a cost at being a disciple that there is work to be done out there and you've called us to that. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to be bold, but that we'd also understand that we need to be completely dependent on you. As you said in your word, come to me. Lord, I pray that we would do that, that we would understand that we need to go forth, but we can't do that in our own power. But Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we would put into action those things that your word has taught us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.